0: Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is sanctuary. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zensolo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon.
1: And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, sanctuary. It's a term we hear more often now than we really would like to.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, it really... The term itself is used in lots of different various and sundry settings. Sure. Right? So we can talk about sanctuary as in the room in our building. Yes. And that is the place where we worship. Not all churches call their worshiping space a sanctuary. Oh, really? Really. I was thinking about that the other day as I was coming in because Mm -hmm. I always think of it as our sanctuary because that's what it is. It's the sanctuary. Sure. But in other places... I know in some of my family's tradition, it's called the auditorium.
1: Oh. It's not the sanctuary.
0: It's just different. Sure. Right? It's not good or bad. It's just different. Different gathering space can be all kinds of stuff. The meeting room, the auditorium, we call it the sanctuary.
1: Okay. Now, where does this term come from?
0: Comes from the Latin root "sanctorium," which means holy.
1: Oh. So it does actually have biblical connotations from the start.
0: Yeah, so we sing the holy 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 sure in worship or it's called the sanctus okay right which is the latin root for sanctuary okay so s a n c t u s is the sanctus and that's the holy 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 we sing that during the portion of the meal i'm starting to use like Fancy terms, I was going to say the Eucharist, <laughs> which is communion. So we use that during communion. So the pastor will say a whole bunch of words like, It is indeed right and salutary that we should at all times and in all places. Give thanks and praise together. Sure. And we join their unending hymn. And then we all sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Uh-huh. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So that section comes directly from scripture. Okay. And that sanctus, 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 holy, 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 we are in a holy place. We are in a sanctuary. Okay. We are in a place that is reserved and set aside for the holiness of God to be observed. Now it also has additional layers of meaning.
1: Yes, it does. From pop culture and that kind of thing, you get it as you take sanctuary in a church yeah. for a myriad of reasons.
0: And primarily, historically, before we get into kind of modern times, you might have heard about it in the Middle Ages, being like, sanctuary, yep. sanctuary, as somebody runs into a church in order to avoid being Holy arrested. ground, I think, is yeah. what you're looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently, through kind of the Middle Ages, through the 6th to the 17th centuries, there was actually law in England that you couldn't be arrested in a church. Hmm. In modern times, you can. <laughs> <laughs> that, that no longer applies. It <laughs> doesn't And it apply. hasn't for a
1: very long time. Right?
0: right. And it is what we call a sensitive place.
1: Oh, well, what does that mean?
0: It means you're going to get super lousy PR if you arrest someone there.
1: Oh, (laughs) that makes perfect sense. Right. Pastors in handcuffs does not look good.
0: Well, churches, uh, hospitals, schools, synagogues, like those are places where doctor's offices, if you arrest someone there who's asking for safety and who's asking to have their story heard, right? like someone who calls for those things in those places and you arrest them anyway, it just looks real bad. Oh yeah. And so they're sensitive places where typically maybe we would avoid doing it unless we had to. Okay. But hundred percent legally you can still totally arrest someone in these places.
1: Wow. Now the other reason we're bringing this up is sort of the politics of the day Mm -hmm. recently as in last year, The entire denomination of the ELCA declared itself a sanctuary denomination. Yes. Now that is kind of a blanket thing. And what does it mean for each individual synod and each individual congregation?
0: We don't know yet. Okay. I mean, that's the fairest way to place it. So our denominational structure has three expressions. We have the churchwide expression that includes like the presiding bishop's office And our kind of overarching hierarchy denominational structure. Okay. And that is seen over by the churchwide assembly that happens every three years. And then there's the synodical work, our synods, and how they do their work together. And so that's like smaller groupings of churches that do their work together. Here in Oregon, we are the Oregon Synod. It covers the entire state. And then there's congregational expression. So each of these three expressions have their own kind of polity and policy and how we do things and those kinds of things. And we work together. It's important to recognize that at the end of the day, each congregation has its own power. Okay. And that church wide expression can't force anything on individual congregations. Okay. And that the work that happens at church wide assembly comes from the people of the congregations up to church wide. So what had to happen... Hopefully they're the same, but not necessarily. Well, I mean, it becomes hard. Like, we're a very diverse denomination. We're a very large denomination, so we're very diverse. And we have people who come up from memorials and pieces that come to the churchwide assembly that come from among the people of the congregations. Like, it has to come from the people of the congregations to their synod and then from their synod to the churchwide assembly. So it goes from the bottom up. It doesn't come from the top down in our denomination. And so this particular action to become a sanctuary denomination came from among the people and went to the denomination as a whole at churchwide. And it passed with over a 90% vote. Wow, that's pretty amazing. It is. And now we have to figure out, well, what does this mean then? Okay. What does it mean to be a sanctuary denomination? And I think that we're wrestling with that and we're trying to figure out what that means because in the same way that when we became a welcoming denomination, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single congregation in the United States is actually a welcoming denomination for folks who are LGBTQIA or folks who are people of color. Like if a local congregation hasn't done that work just because as a denomination we've lifted up that that's our value doesn't mean that we're ready for every local congregation to have done that work and actually be a safe place. Okay. And if you want to walk that back all the way to women's ordination, like we've been ordaining women for 50 years, like we've been ordaining white women for 50 years, <laughs> women of color for 40 years, sure, and LGBTQIA folk for 10 years, right? So if a local congregation hasn't done that work, they may not be ready for a female-led congregation yet. Sure. So it's all wishy-washy. We're Lutheran. We live in the mess in between places. And what I will say that as a congregation that declared ourselves a sanctuary congregation, this we, one, our central Lutheran, yep. we became a sanctuary congregation. We started our conversations back in 2016 and we took our vote early in 2017 and became a sanctuary congregation. And then our synod was the first Synod in the ELCA to become a sanctuary senate. And that was in 2016 when Oregon Synod became a sanctuary Synod, Okay. And the denomination became a sanctuary denomination in 2019. Right. So these are several years of different points in time. But I want to lift up the fact that the Lutheran church has a long, 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 long history of working with immigrants and refugees. Because in our modern time, what this whole conversation becomes about is immigration. Okay. It is less about like someone being chased down by the local folks and getting in trouble and running less into a church. about vampires looking for right, whatever. Right, exactly. And much more about immigration conversations. Sure. And that's because in the 1980s... There was a situation in Central America that caused many people to begin to provide sanctuary to refugees and immigrants and asylum seekers from Central America due to the political unrest that was caused much by the involvement of the United States Mm. in those countries. You don't say. Yeah. And so that sanctuary movement picked up in the 1980s. There's a new sanctuary movement that is happening now. Okay. And the movement very much has to do around immigration, asylum seekers, refugees, people with deportation orders, those kinds of pieces, and dreamers. and right? Like, sure, the new sanctuary movement, I believe, came to be before DACA was passed, okay, before the Dreamer Act was passed. And so that's the current contemporary conversation,
1: OK. You threw out a word asylum. And now how do asylum and sanctuary? Meet? What are the differences and similarities between those two?
0: Asylum, and I could be getting a lot of this wrong, so please forgive me and please do your own research. Please go look up the Interfaith Movement for Immigrant Justice. It's okay. dot merge.org. They have tons of resources and education there.
1: We will definitely put links to that on our podcast page.
0: Absolutely. You can find our podcast page at centralportland.org if you found this on a podcasting platform somewhere. So Asylum is something that you apply for. Okay. Okay. So if I am a citizen of another country and I have credible reason to believe that I will be killed or harmed because of the situation within the country or my identification, so who I am, how I am in the world, let's take it for Central, one of the ones that we are very familiar with, right, is Individuals who are LGBTQIA and self-identification face massively increased risks of persecution and death in many other countries around the world. Okay. So if we just look at those who are seeking asylum because of gender identity and expression or sexual identity or expression, those individuals have a credible threat to their well-being. They show up at our border. They don't have to get permission ahead of time. Okay. This is completely legal. Yep. They show up at our border at a crossing station, and say, I am here to seek asylum. Okay. And then their asylum case begins. Now, if we've closed the border crossing station, then those individuals might walk a couple feet away and try crossing the border next to the crossing station. Uh Uh-huh. And then immediately turn themselves in on the other side of the border. I'm seeking asylum. Okay. Current administration has that being a gray area. They're coming legally because they're coming for asylum, but they've crossed the border at a place where there wasn't a border crossing. hmm But they've closed the border crossings. hmm So. So what are you going to do? What are we going to do with it? You're going to seek sanctuary, apparently. Well, maybe. Not necessarily. Very few people actually seek sanctuary. Okay. So asylum seekers can make it into the country and eventually, maybe, have their petitions heard and have them processed. But you have to understand that even a regular, completely legal immigration case. So in 2005, in the case of my first marriage, Mm -hmm. I was filing for immigration for my spouse. And if we had done that through the U.S. at the time, completely legally, it would have taken a minimum of five years Whoa, for that to happen. That was when we had, I believe, five processing centers open in the United States for all immigration cases. Yep. I believe we're down to four, possibly three Mm -hmm. that are still open. So the wait time on immigration cases right now is anywhere between five to 20 years. That is shocking. And asylum seekers also have inordinate amount of wait time for their cases to be heard.
1: Oh man. And I can't even imagine what the paperwork is like.
0: Real hard. Yeah,
1: (laughs) real hard. Oh, I just applied for a FAFSA for my child not that long ago, and that paperwork (laughs) nearly killed the three of us. Right.
0: And so what I will say from my own experience was we got him through immigration in a different route. Yeah. Partially he's an English-speaking white male, and he was from Australia. And Mm -hmm. so we were able to go to the American Embassy in Sydney and do immigration there. It's a unique bonus we have there. Sure. But two years later, while he was a temporary resident, like he had his green card, he had to go for his biometrics appointment, which is when you come to the city of Portland, when you're here in Oregon and you get your fingerprints done and an eye scan and all kinds of things like that, just to make sure you are who you say you are and those sorts of things. Okay. It's kind of the next step through your journey. We got notification less than a week ahead of time and had to be in Portland at 8am on a Monday. And so there's a ton of reasons and ways in which we may not have been able to make it there. If we hadn't had a car, if we didn't have a flexible schedule. You've got to jump through hoops. We had to have enough money to pay for a hotel. We had to have enough money to pay for gas. We had to be able to read the letter. Oh, yeah. Right? Just a ton of things that we were able to do to be able to make that 8 a.m. appointment. If we had missed that 8 a.m. appointment for whatever reason, a kid got sick, anything he automatically would have lost his immigration status and would have had an order for deportation against him.
1: Wow. Not even that the clock starts over. No.
0: You're just out. Like, you're done. You're done. And so in those kinds of cases, like, that's how easy it is to get an order of deportation against you. And to try and get back from that, to try to find your way through the very, very, very broken system to say, My child's leg broke and I had to go to the hospital instead of my biometrics appointment, right? Like, whatever it is. Oh, no. Real hard. And so then what do you do when you've lived, you've been here completely legally or you've lived here your entire life and one small piece undoes all of your work? Oh, yeah. Well, do you automatically just let yourself be deported to a place where you're likely to be killed or you have no connections? Or do you ask for help? And in some cases, very rare, actually, but in some cases, people are going to congregations and asking for sanctuary.
1: And that is the help.
0: And that is the help. And that is when a congregation allows someone to guest stay in their space. And because they are a sensitive location, typically ICE will not come and arrest someone there. Now, if they have a signed warrant... It's legal. It's legal. They could still come in and get them. And you're not harboring. You're not doing anything illegal because you're not hiding the person. Okay. Right. You're just hosting them and you've let people know, yep, they're here. So it's not an illegal action to host someone. It is in your home. Okay. It is illegal to keep someone in your home and to not let anyone know where they are. That's harboring. But to host someone in a church very publicly and very openly... That is not an illegal action. Fascinating. It is a disruptive action. Well, sure. But it is not illegal. And so there's lots of different ways, right? So asylum seekers can easily become someone who's asking for sanctuary because the process lets them down. Okay. Right. But an asylum seeker is a legal immigrant utilizing a legal system in order to come into the country. Sanctuary, for our denomination... We don't know what it is yet. You know, the whole Martin Luther question of what does this mean? Uh We're going to have to figure that out together. Right. I can say what it's meant for Central Lutheran in Northeast Portland, Oregon. Okay. I can say for us, it is meant that we have participated in vigils and in prayers. We have accompanied one of our members through immigration challenges, including being arrested by ICE and being held in the for-profit prison in Tacoma. Um, Oh,
1: man. These words are coming out of your mouth, and it seems somewhat unbelievable in this day and age. And yet, it is not unbelievable in this day and age. No, it's
0: totally believable, Mm -hmm. right? Sadly so. It means showing up and supporting people in Sheridan, Oregon. Mm Mm-hmm because there is a local jail there that is balancing its budget by having a corporate contract with ICE in order to hold people in immigration hearings, then they can be held indefinitely. And so this prison has a contract to house these folks. And when you're in Sheridan, I don't know how much you pay per minute for your phone calls with your family. Oh, I have heard stories but to make a phone call out of the Sheridan prison is three times the amount of the going. I think it's like twenty-five to thirty cents per minute.
1: Oh man, that's like calling international in the eighties,
0: or even worse. Yeah. And there's so many pieces. Like I know oh, yeah. in Tacoma, that's the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg in Tacoma, you're only allowed one personal item per six months. And, and if just if you blows
1: wanna... my mind that <laughs> this is where we're at, right?
0: And for if people wanna... asking for help, yeah. If you want to purchase anything. From the commissary. I think it's something like five or $10 for a small thing of toothpaste from the commissary. It's like living in a hospital and paying
1: those prices for real.
0: Totally. Uh Only you're a prisoner.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: And so that's what it has meant for Central Lutheran is becoming educated and learning about these things and getting angry about these things and praying about these things and accompanying specific individual people. It has meant accompanying individuals who are fighting for the systems to be changed into a more equitable system. It has meant our members, individual members, getting more involved and the vitality and the passion of the congregation increasing. Because we have something that we don't see how this is the fruition of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Like our current system is not the way God intends it. And so we have something that we're passionate and we care about. And it's intersectional with the other things that we are passionate about. Right? Many of the people who are fleeing and trying to come to this area are doing so because climate change is already impacting them tremendously. Sure. And so as the passions that we have in our congregation intersect with this, medical rights and helping people to receive the care that they deserve, like it kind of hits all our stuff. Sure. And so for us, it has meant continuing to be involved. It does not necessarily mean hosting someone here in our building as a guest, but it does mean being very active and outspoken on these topics and issues. And so for some congregations, that's what being sanctuary is going to mean. For some congregations, it will mean having a guest in their building. For some congregations, it will mean just learning about what is the difference between a refugee and asylum seeker and immigrant, right? And what the terminology is. So sanctuary can be so many, many, many different things. And I think that as a denomination that is so diverse, it's going to take quite a while for us to figure out what it means to be a sanctuary denomination. Sure. But... It means that we care.
1: That's a good thing.
0: There is so much in the scripture about this. Yeah. There's so much about welcoming the alien and welcoming the outsider and creating a space of safety for those who are travelers. It is just suffused through our scripture in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And so this is deeply scripturally based. Yeah. And they never
1: start with, wait, where are you from again? Right. (laughs) Right. Oh, I'm sorry. That's just not good enough or pick another country.
0: There's a couple of moments where it does start like that. but By the end, God totally tosses (laughs) that around.
1: There you go. (laughs) Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. Where do you hope that this goes, this new wave of sanctuary?
0: I hope it goes to where we don't need it. Well, yeah, that would be lovely. Maybe that's naive of me to pray for, but. At the same time, I think I have to hold on to that hope that there's going to be a time and a day where we don't have to pray for or fight for or maneuver for or build strategically towards a mother getting to keep her own child and a father getting to be present with them. Or that someone who is going to be killed will finally, safely find a safe place where they can build a life. Like, I shouldn't have to fight for that. No. But at the same time, our faith compels us to. And so until the day... When we no longer have to shout loudly for people to be treated humanely and with dignity, then where I hope the sanctuary movement can go is into a place where we understand the common humanity of all people, that we treat them with dignity and respect, that we hold people in high regard and we lift them up and we don't just set them aside I truly hope that in our denomination where the sanctuary movement goes is into an accompaniment-based model. We've done that well in other areas, and we have long been working with refugees in our denomination. And so I hope that we can build on the strong foundation of our refugee resettlement program that has been since the end of World War II and accompany people with dignity and respect, not doing for, but doing with and building with these communities and seeing how vibrant and beautiful those partnerships can be. So that's a prayer.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about sanctuary. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic.
0: As do I. And thank you all for joining us today. Feel free to send your questions to pastor at centralportland.org on this topic. I will refer you to folks far wiser than myself on it or answer as I am able. You can do plenty of research. Please do check out emerge.org. And for more information about the ELCA's policy on this, look into the Churchwide Assembly in 2019 and the memorial there that brought us into this exciting new opportunity for conversation. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.